Ever wonder what it would be like if you took charge of your school building? What would that be like? How would you know you're making the right decisions? What would your leadership style look like? And would your organization benefit from your leadership? Today, we answer those questions and more with first-year principal, Matt Lakis. Welcome everyone to the Ed Essentials Podcast. My name is Hunter Flesh, and my mission is to give teachers and administrators strategies that work. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get started. Today, we are going to learn how to use simple leadership strategies to better lead your organization, especially in your first year of leadership. When you join a new building, there are a lot of unknowns. You don't know your coworkers, the room numbers, where the copier and printer is, where everything's located, and the list could go on and on. But similarly to Principal Matt Lakis's experience, you also don't really know what your job will be like until you're sitting in that chair. I'd been an assistant principal for two years prior to this. And as you're sitting in that assistant chair, you begin to ponder like how you would run the show, right? When you get into that chair, what are you going to do to create the building and the culture that you want? Um, And then when you get there, you realize that it's not a whole lot like you were expecting. And so every day was a unique learning experience for me. Matt was sitting in his newly minted principal chair for the first time. And he's probably thinking to himself, what am I going to do now? Plenty of people, including myself, might start writing down just as many possible things to do on a to-do list so we can go fast and get more things accomplished. Matt actually suggests that we do the opposite. You have to go slow to go far. Definitely, you need to take your time in this job. My superintendent did a great job controlling the speed in which I was trying to get change done. And he constantly was reminding me, Year one is all about observation and asking questions and taking lots and lots of notes. Year two, you probably amp up those questions a little bit more and begin to make tweaks here and there. And then year three, you have to be ready to, the foundation should be laid. You should be ready to live out that vision that you've been hoping and dreaming about that entire time. And definitely made my share of mistakes in my first year, trying to go probably a little too fast at times. And then just also having a plan where it is slow and deliberate process for unfolding kind of your vision for what you want to achieve. There are some things that have just been entrenched in a building's culture or just in public schools in general, these ideas, these beliefs, these systems, and they take a very long time to dismantle or to rework and reframe. When I talk about going slow to go far, I'm talking about making huge second order changes. I'll give you an example. At Woodward Granger, when I got there, this was the first building I had ever been to where we didn't have a consistent professional learning community time or a PLC time embedded in our schedule. Teachers had done it definitely in like bits and pieces prior, but this was the first place I'd ever walked into where the structure just wasn't there. And so I know how important that is to a building success. Hopefully a lot of your listeners, and I'm sure Hunter, you've done a ton of research and learning about PLCs and the importance of PLCs with DeFore's work. But 
it just, that takes time. It takes time. It's a mindset that you need to collaborate, that you need to be vulnerable in your data and in, in your assessments and your work. And you need to problem solve and taking some outside ideas in order to make your instruction better. There's a lot of vulnerability to that. There's, it's just a process. And so I knew coming in in my first year, that was not going to be something that I could just say, hey, we're going to PLC because that just wouldn't go well. The structures weren't in place. The philosophies and the mindsets weren't there yet. And as Matt began to realize that these certain structures weren't in place, he started discovering that some of the foundational components that we would assume all school districts might have weren't there at all. And I would say sometime around September, October, in in checking in with my new staff, the teachers that I was able to hire, it became abundantly clear that DeFore's question number one, we were just we were not prepared for as a system. We did not know what we were trying to teach kids and that was not recorded anywhere. We needed to know what we were teaching in our classrooms or at least document what we were teaching in our classrooms a little bit more clearly. And we began our work of one Wednesday every single every single month of getting together with our sixth grade all the way up to our 12th grade departments and sitting down and talking about our essential standards. And so that was an intentional move by me where we got to think long-term here. So year two, we're coming in, we're probably going to start looking at assessments a lot more. And that's on the PD framework for this upcoming school year. And then the year after, that's really where we're going to dig into that MTSS system. And we're going to start talking about how we intervene and do enrichment a little bit better than what we've done in the past. So constantly thinking long-term and where we're trying to go, because I plan on being at Woodward Granger for a long time, and I have to be thinking long-term in all my decision-making. So now we know just how important it is to go slow in order to go far. The slower you go, the more long-term your decision-making becomes and the more effective those long-range plans can become. But does that mean we always have to go slow? I would say that there are absolutely times that you have to make decisions quickly, Hunter. You said it, you're a doer, right? Me too, I'm the exact same way. And when I see something wrong, there's this feeling inside of me where I can't go to sleep knowing that I left it that way. And so there will absolutely be opportunities and what I would call easy wins where you can make a decision real quick and let everybody know what your philosophy is, what you stand for, and how you want your building to look different moving forward. I can think of one thing really quick. We tried to do a student of the month to promote positive student behavior. Before it was maybe two kids in our entire building each month, or no, it was one from each grade level each month got nominated to be student of the month and they had their name put on a screen in the hallways and then they got some sort of prize and that was it. You can do the math real quick. Four kids per month. You're in school nine months out of the year. You're honoring 36 kids over the course of your school year. Sometimes year after year, same kids keep popping up on those lists. So we weren't doing a great job just honoring kids, celebrating kids. And so what I did when I came in, I tasked my building leadership team. I said, this isn't enough. We need to do more here. And they came up with a really great solution to the problem that I saw, which was we were not honoring kids enough. And so every single teacher now each month can pick a student and they print off a certificate and they give a presentation in their own classroom or in the hallway when they see them um, to just honor them and let them know, hey, I see you, I saw what you were doing and I loved it. And so now we have upwards of 30, 35 kids each month potentially getting celebrated in a school as small as mine. That's a pretty big deal. And so- So leaders, if you think you're taking your time, truly ask yourself, is this the pace in which I can effectively make change? 
More likely than not, you're trying to go too fast and you'll probably push your staff farther than they're ready to go. And what would have been a positive change turns into a failed initiative, one of many that your educators and staff members have probably faced in the past. As Matt stated, it's important to know not just where you're going for one year and in the short term, but for the long term. This will help you remain clear and consistent with your actions and your goals, as well as help your staff get on board. All staff want a vision to believe in, but no one will maintain that vision unless you hold yourself as the principal to it. You have to hold yourself accountable. That's a big one for me. Whether you like it or not, everybody is watching you. They are they're listening to you and they are looking to see how you react to each and every situation. And so if you're not holding yourself accountable to be living out your mission and vision for your building and what you're asking your teachers to do, there's no reason for them to hold themselves accountable to that same mission and vision. And you have to be very disciplined in what you say and what you do. But I think that if you genuinely believe the things that you're preaching and talking to your staff about, that should be somewhat easy. Leaders are put under a microscope, whether we like it or not. And it's important to always know that you should never ask a staff member to do something that you wouldn't be willing to do yourself. I feel like that's pretty common in leadership. You know, if you're going to be the one to tell someone to clean something up off the floor, but you're not willing to do it yourself, that really builds a disdain and a dislike for you as a leader. You know, if you're preaching a mission and vision that you want your staff to believe in, you really have to be able to walk the walk alongside them too. Another common issue with leaders is that they are doing so much behind the scenes, but no one ever sees it. And so all the amazing things that you're doing as a leader is just hidden. And so for you as a leader, it is so, so important to be present, to be visible, and to be accessible to your staff, to your community, and to the students. When you show up, it shows that you care and that you're interested. And for me, that's a huge thing. I, I got into this business because I love kids. I was an English teacher and a literacy interventionist when I started my career in education. And I could have taught math. I probably could have taught social studies. It really didn't matter to me. Um, it mattered to teach kids. And so for me, when you show up to things like sporting events or band concerts or choir concerts, it shows that you care. And if you don't genuinely care, it's going to be hard for other people to care too. And so I try to be the biggest fan of Woodward Granger that I possibly can be. And I try to live that every single day so that people know that I'm interested and I'm invested in their, in the community and in their kids. So it's definitely important to be present and accessible to students, staff, community members. But if you're doing all the work, putting in the time, scheduling these meetings, and being, being accessible, are you truly making those experiences and that time spent with those people meaningful? Are you truly being present and in the moment with the person sitting across the table from you? It's hard when you have a cell phone in your pocket that's buzzing a million times a day. It's hard when you have a bunch of meetings that you have to get to or things that you need to plan for the next meeting. Those things are hard, but to be to be present mentally, physically, where your feet are at, that's really difficult to do. And I'm definitely not the best at it, but I, it's something I'm constantly working on is show up to things, but then when I'm there, be present and be in, enjoying that moment with the kids or with the community or with my staff. Don't let those other things pull you to the side and take your attention away from what's most important in that moment. And so if you can be where your feet are, I think it, it pays dividends down the line. 
And as leaders, sometimes it's really, really difficult, even when we're being present, to let people know, this is what I stand for as a leader. Like those conversations as administrators don't just happen naturally. Those aren't things that are probably going to be taking place in a team meeting or a PLC meeting or some sort of committee. So I asked Matt, how do you let people know the non-negotiable things that you stand for as a leader? So I think it's not some like big grandiose speech. It's not some document mm. or some mission statement or vision statement that you learn about when you're in grad class. You got to type those things up. You got to make it look really pretty. It's not about that. It's just about the day in, day out, what you preach and what you live. I think you have to model what you believe in. And for me, that's we're going to put kids first in the center of everything that we do. And so that means calling in student voice as much as we possibly can. That means celebrating kids as much as we possibly can. Coming into a new building and a new culture is hard, but what's easy is just celebrating people. And if there's any advice I could give to first year principals, it's it's find the positive things in your building. Be taking notes about the things that you'd love to change, but definitely just you have to be a big ball of energy and a big ball of positivity, whether that's your personality or not. It's easy to point out all the things you love about your building and about your students. So how you set the tone, every single staff meeting that I have, um, we start with good things is what I call it. And I can tell you the first time we ever did it, it was hilarious. I would say it probably lasted a minute and a half. And that's with me sharing positive to try to model what I was looking for out of that session. And I'll tell you, by the end of the year, we hit 15 minutes on good things at the beginning of a staff meeting. 15 minutes of staff just raising their hand and wanting to share the amazing things that their kids were doing or the amazing things that were going on in their own personal lives or the things that they'd seen out of a colleague. And to me, that's that's everything, right? That's establishing that culture of collaboration, of vulnerability, of positivity. Those are the things I want in my building. And so by taking the time and professional development and staff meetings to say, this is important for us, this is our work, it, we better have some stories to share here. That I think is important. A small change like starting with what's going well or what's going good in your life can make such a huge impact on staff culture, staff positivity, and feelings of belongingness. But it's also important that we maintain this consistency. It's something that even though it's a small change, we have to stick to every time to truly show that we value it. If you're in charge of setting the meeting agenda, take five minutes and just say, we're going to sit here. And if we have to sit here in silence for half of it to come up with these great stories, we're going to do it. But we're going to sit here until we come up with some positive things to say about Woodward Granger and the experience that we're all having in our district. So, principals, know that your actions should represent what you value. Clearly, Matt is striving to build a positive work environment in his building, and he's taking those intentional steps towards achieving that. But you can go even farther when you start digging into the inner workings of your school system. I really want, I preach vulnerability, like collaboration. Let's work together to solve the problems that we're facing. And I wanted to find a way to get teachers into their, into one another's classrooms. Because we know that when a colleague comes in and points out great things that you're doing and maybe offers that little tip of what to do differently, that's really powerful. Way more powerful than if I were to walk into your room and give you the rundown and the list of things that I've noticed. So how do you do that when a quarter of your staff is brand new, three quarters of your staff 
haven't really done that a whole lot with some fidelity. Let's get our staff into one another's classrooms for strictly positive praise. And so creating the structure for that took a lot of time and we had to really sit down and think. And once we started developing it and getting down into the weeds of it, our middle school team found out about it and said, hey, we wanna do this too. And so our entire 612 building, I had sixth grade teachers going into 12th grade science classrooms. I had my 11th grade English teacher running down to go check out an art teacher that was teaching a middle school class period. And so this idea, the schedule of trying to create time embedded in their day for teachers to give each other compliments was an amazing feat, but it was so worth it because teachers got to see one another teach and they got to, again, spread some positivity. We are doing great things here. Let's point those things out to one another and make us feel really good about the things we are doing well. I think you might see Praise Walks online. I know I found out about them in an article on some website, but I think what we did that was uniquely different was we embedded it in their school day to where it wasn't taking away their plan period. If you recall at the beginning of the school year, COVID was still a very much a big deal and people were covering for each other left and right if they had to be out sick. We couldn't take away people's plan time any more than it had already been stretched. And my instructional coach, my counselor and myself would tag people out of their classroom to go on those walks. And so I would take over, I think I took over a sixth grade English classroom and I read them a story and we did some comprehension questions together. So I'm tagging them out with an easier, hopefully class period. And then they get to go out and they get to go do that during their, their job. And so I I think that's really powerful and it sends a statement to staff that I care enough about this that I'm going to go into your classroom to relieve you so you can go give somebody else a compliment. And it's so hard because you're doing that from scratch. And I feel like as I'm going through all my master's classes, I'm like, how do you do that? How do you do that? And it's just sometimes you might not know how and you have to collaborate with the people around you to create something. You take an idea, you take this theory. And we talk about that a lot with Deming. What's your theory? And then you just start. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes that's just the most important thing is that you commit to whatever it is that you're trying to do. So far, we've talked a lot about how principals can take actions that affect their staff, that affect the district, that affect the system. But there's one important aspect that we have not yet mentioned, and that's the students. And so Matt had a really, really, really cool example where he came across a challenge where he decided, why not let the students figure this out? So nearly a year ago from today, I met with my student council in our lunchroom for what I call my summer summit with the student council. And I put our building-wide data in front of them, and I just asked them to talk about their experience. Did their personal experience, was it reflected in the data? Was it different? Why or why not? What problems do we face as a building? And what solutions do you have to help us get there? And I'm not going to say that every single thing that was mentioned that day was totally worthwhile and we ran with and did something with, but there are so many amazing little nuggets and bits of information there that we're doing it again this year because I just believe that our kids are the ones that we're doing this for. And if we don't solicit their opinion, we're going to miss out uh, on why we're here. And so that was where I started. And I think that earned a little bit of street cred with the kids right out of the gate that this new principal, he's coming in and he actually cares and he wants to listen to the things that we have to say. And it probably didn't hurt that I fed him a little bit of lunch too and had some <laughs> snacks ready to go for him. And t-shirts too. That always helps to, to love the swag. <laughs> a student came to me very passionate about our dress code policy. I think her exact words were, it's misogynistic, it's racist, and it's sexist. And if you take a look at 
address codes just across America in public schools. That is true. They are. They do target specific groups of people predominantly more than others. And so that's problematic because if you look at any school and any building and any student body, it's diverse in its own way. And so how do you make sure that every single student feels comfortable coming to school each day? And for her, it was a matter of, hey, we need to change this dress code and we need to make it not more lax, not more liberal or whatever you want to call it. It was about, we need to make it more comfortable for myself and for for my peers. And she asked me to change it. And I told her, no, I said, no, you're going to change it. I'm not going to, I'm going to help you change it. Because again, I'm a first year principal here. Remember, I don't have a whole lot of social capital to be thrown around to try to make these big changes. This is going to take some time and we're going to have to change the hearts and the minds of the people in this building. Because at the end of the day, a dress code is just an agreement by everybody in the community. This is how we're going to dress when we show up to school each day. And if not everybody's on board with that, then there's no point in changing it. This girl found a group of friends and classmates that kind of really wanted to dive into this work. And I challenged them to research nearby schools in the area to find out what their dress codes were. I asked them to look up scholarly article to identify exactly what misogynistic men and sexist policy looks like in action and in practice. And so uh, these girls dove into the research and we'd meet about once a month in the mornings to talk about it and to just talk about their ideas and their wonderings and, and their critiques of our current system. And I had to always remind them. Again, you got to go slow to go far. We can't just change this thing right out of the gate. You can't change a dress code right in the middle of a school year or in the first semester. That's not how this works. That's how chaos is created. And through that, I told them, you've done your research. You have an idea of what you want to accomplish, but that's your idea. Have you talked to the greater community? Because again, this is an agreement of everyone. And, and they said, no, Mr. Likas, can you please do that for us? And I said, no. you're going to do that. This is not my thing. I'm just here to support you. I do not have a horse in this race, but I, my only horse in this race is that you learn something from this and you feel empowered to make your change. So then they created a professional development or a Q and a with our staff. I helped them develop a pre-assessment and a post-assessment from that professional development opportunity. I taught them how to go through the data and analyze it in a spreadsheet so they can see if significant change was made. And then from that experience, I said, okay, draft up what a great dress code policy looks like based off of the information you've gathered from staff, based off of the information you've gathered from your peers, put it all together and send me something. And you know what? On the books for the 2022-2023 school year is their words. Not We were able to get school board approval and they were absolutely tickled that our kids were the ones that wrote this thing. We got a chance to pilot it the last couple of weeks of school. And I could tell you at first, I think everybody had their hands on the walls expecting the place to fall down, but... <laughs> Sure enough, we're still here and we're going to have a great school year next year. And hopefully kids are going to be coming to school feeling a little bit more comfortable. And that's because of the kids. It had nothing to do with me. It was completely because of the kids. So to summarize so far, some leadership tips from first year principal Matt Lakers have been go slow to go far. Be present and visible and accessible to your staff, students and community. Hold yourself accountable and when possible, bring in student voice. The last question I asked Matt was simply about what advice would you have to offer to anyone that is looking to become a future administrator? That's a really good question because I've, I've known for a while that this is what I've wanted to do. So that fire in me to find a way to get to where I am now has always been what's pushing me. But I would say the, the biggest thing is just 
you have to one be a promoter of kids, right? You have to love kids. You have to love education. You have to love eat, sleep and drink all things education. But more than that, you probably just, you need to be somebody that has, that cares about people. And that is, takes the work serious, but doesn't take themselves terribly serious is the best way I can put that is I love learning. I love, love learning. I'm constantly looking for new articles and new ways to do things and leaning on the experiences of others to to live vicariously through that. So if you can somehow express that, if you can somehow live that more than just express it, just live that where you're hungry to learn more, you're willing to take criticism, you're willing to take feedback. I think that puts you head and shoulders above most of the people that are aspiring to be administrators. I think it's easy to want to be in charge. It's exciting, the thought of that, but it's not easy, not easy at all. It's very taxing and it's very wearing. But if you're somebody that, is open to feedback and that is willing to change your thinking through the experiences of others or through others' ideas or information, you're putting yourself in a really good spot. Because I can tell you three years ago when I was first getting into administration, my thoughts on education were a whole lot different than they are now. And just that's from just the willingness of absorbing the information of people around me. You're going to meet so many fantastic teachers, associates, custodians, other principals along the way. And if you're not willing to get better because of that, you're going to fizzle out and you're probably going to go end up looking for a different career. Your first year as a principal should never look the same as your second. And your second should never look the same as your third, or you're getting stagnant and you're getting complacent. So I guess my biggest thing would be to just share if you're looking to get a job, how much you truly love to learn and how willing you are to put in the work to get better. And then I would say if you're there, it's to continue to live that, right? To to live what you preach and to constantly be looking for new and innovative ways to better yourself so that way you can better those around you. Great advice. Matt, how can people connect with you and support you and all the work you're doing at Woodward Granger? You know, I have a Twitter, which is probably my primary way of communicating with people and pushing out the awesome things that we're doing in our district. That's Matt Lakis underscore WGHS, I believe is the handle there. And then just, you can go to our district website. My contact information is listed there along with a welcome letter to anybody that goes and visits. Our our tech director for the district, Cody Churchill, I'm going to give him a quick shout out. Our website's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. You'd never know that we're a small district when you go and visit. So I'd encourage folks to go check that thing out. We'd like to post things there so you can stay up to date on all things Woodward Granger Hawks. I love it. And I'll be sure to tag that down below in the show notes. So if you aren't following Matt on Twitter yet, go ahead and do that. The link down below and you can find him. I've got one more question, Matt. Sure. So say there is a complete revision of schools across the world. Okay. And we decide to build this brand new education system from scratch. And as they're seeking input and advice on how to build this new school system, They ask you, Matt Lakis, to give some guiding thoughts on how they should shape this new education system. But the only rule is they limit you to three statements. So what would those three statements be? Ooh, that's a really good question. And I have no idea why they'd be asking me. But I would say (laughs) my first statement would probably be, we need to have kids at the table for this conversation. That would probably be my first statement because a bunch of adults, especially a bunch of older men at the table is probably not the right representation for making this decision. Let's just start there. I would say that a new, the new education that I would want for my kids would be one where kids can be loud, be creative and be collaborative together. The one where they feel empowered to make change with the problems that they see in the world. If we're doing that, 
think we're doing a pretty good job. So there you have it. Some strategies and tools to help you feel confident and prepared to take on that first year as principal. Thank you to Matt Lakis for all of the amazing insights and for joining me on the Ed Essentials podcast. Educators, before you go, if you are interested in joining a community for free that is supportive, that will give you feedback on anything you're working on in education, um, and you just want to be surrounded by some motivated educators, please check out the Ed Essentials group chat on Facebook. I'll be sure to link that down in the show notes. We would love to see you there. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Ed Essentials podcast. Original music by Patrick Cunningham. The links to connect with us are in the show notes. Connect with me on social media by following at Ed Essentials. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode.